Bhagavate Vāsudevāya Bhagavate Vāsudevāya Sriya Pati Niraksha Mukunda Patni Sriya Lila Valoka Kalayot Savaban Atanoti Uchu Sriyapati Nidiksha Mukunda Patnis Arayatodu basaha kim akarya mubhi Arayatodu basaha kim akarya mubhi Yachchakshushampurushamolir Uchu Sriyapati Niriksha Mukunda Patnis Tarayatodu Pasahaki Makaya Mubhi Lila Valoka Kalayot Savaban Athanoti
said, Striya, the women, Pati, upon the road, Nidiksha, Singh, Mukunda, of Lord Krishna, Patni, the wives, Tara, stars, Yatha, like, Udupa, the moon, Saha, accompanying, Kim, what, Akari, was done, Amubi, by them, Yat, since, Chakshusham, for their eyes, Purusha, of men, Mawali, the Diedam, Udara, wide, Hasa, with smiles, Lila, playful, Avaloka, of his glances, Kalaya, with a small portion, Utsavam, a festival, Atanoti, he bestows. Observing Lord Mukunda's wives passing on the road like stars accompanying the moon, the women exclaimed, What have these ladies done so that the best of men bestows upon their eyes the joy of his generous smile and playful sidelong glances? In various places, citizens of the city came forward holding auspicious offerings for Lord Krishna and sinless leaders of occupational guilds came forward to worship the Lord. Purport. Srila Prabhupada writes, while Lord Krishna was thus passing on the road, at intervals some of the opulent citizens who were all rich, respectful, and freed from sinful activities presented auspicious articles to the Lord just to offer him a reception to the city. Thus they worshipped him as humble servitors. Om Chakshuru Nilidam Jena Tasmai Sri Gurave Namaha Sri Chaitanya Manobhishtam Stapitam Yena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Padamayam Dadati Swapadantikam Pandeham Sri Guru Sri Jutha Padakamalam Sri Guru Vaishnavamscha Sri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahakana Raghunatham Bitam Tam Sajivam 
सात्वैतम सातदूतम परिजना सहितम कृष्ण चैतन्य देवम श्री राधा कृष्ण पादान सहतना ललिता श्री विशाखान्वितमश्चा हे कृष्णा करुणा सिंधु दीना बंधु जगतपते गोपेशा गोपिका कांड राधा कांड नमोस्तते तत्कांचना गौरांगी राधे वृंदावनेश्वरी वृषभानु सुधे देवी नमामी हरि प्रिय वंशकल्पतरूप्य कृपा सिंधुभ्य पथिभाभ्यो वैष्णवेभ्यो नमो नमः श्रीकृष्ण चैतन्य प्रभो निनंद श्रीअदाधर शिवासती गौरभक्तवृंद हरे कृष्ण हरे कृष्ण 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 हरे हरे In various places citizens of the city came forward holding auspicious offerings for Lord Krishna and sinless leaders of occupational guilds came forward to worship the Lord We are reading from Shrimad Bhagavatam canto 10 chapter 71 entitled the lord travels to indraprastha text 36 and 37 as we discussed yesterday when Lord Krishna entered Indraprastha The king Yudhisthira Maharaj came off of his throne with his own enthusiasm he went to the outskirts of the city to welcome Lord Krishna and with tears of love he embraced Krishna and krishna embraced him <clears throat> and similarly arjuna bhima nakula sahadev were weeping limbs trembling as they exchanged loving embraces with lord krishna yesterday how the ladies of Indraprastha 
they went to their rooftops where they saw the whole city having a great utsav, a great festival to welcome Krishna. They were showering flowers upon him. They were singing his glories. The ladies, each and every one of them, through their glances and smiles, were offering their bodies, their minds, their words, their hearts, their souls to Krishna. And Krishna was reciprocating through his glances and smiles. He was accepting and giving his very self to them within their own hearts. Today's verses, we find every different type of citizen of Indrapasa was having the same beautiful relation of reciprocation of affection with Krishna. Whether they were the leaders of the occupational guilds, every type of citizen, they were they were completely united in one spirit to celebrate Krishna's arrival. And the concept of Varnashram Dharma from a Vaishnava perspective is very much illustrated in this. Atapumbird Vijastreshtas Varnashrama Vibhagasha. Whatever our varna or ashram, whatever our occupation or our particular status in society, our only purpose is truly to give pleasure to Krishna, to serve Krishna. And that is the true unity of humanity. When we have a common purpose not based on fear, not based on the the troubles that we will all endure if we do not unite, not based on some political alliance to help each other to defend ourselves from some other enemy. There are so many ways people become united. Some become united because if we're united, we all make more money. We all become more powerful. Their unity is on this spiritual platform. Whatever differences, we are all eternally Krishna's servants. And what will please Krishna is the only success of our life. So in this way, with one heart, the whole Indraprastha welcomed Krishna. And Krishna was so pleased. He describes in <clears throat> today's verse that they were so happy 
to see the good fortune of Krishna's queens. Every lady in Indraprastha would be so honored to be Krishna's queen. We have read in the previous chapter how Krishna reciprocated with each and every one of his queens. There were 16,108. And Narada Muni came to visit Krishna to see how he's living in this way. <clears throat> he's already created this island called Dwarka. And now he's living there. So he went to one palace of Rukmini. And Krishna was um, sitting on a little seat, very beautiful seat, with Rukmini and all of her associates around. And Krishna got up and, and offered his respects to Narada and put him out, put Narada on his own seat and washed his feet. And Rukmini Devi was fanning Narada Muni. They're living in a beautiful palace, most beautiful palace in all of creation. And Narada Muni is homeless. I don't think there's any scripture that I know of, Radhesha may know, but <laughs> I don't know of any scripture that talks about Narada Muni's house. <laughs> what kind of furniture he may have <laughs> he's always traveling I never even heard of him going to sleep actually <laughs> where does he sleep he's just always going somewhere to chant Krishna's names and give Krishna to someone whether it's a king or whether it's a hunter or whether it's a, a dacoit or whether it's a business person, or whether it's Krishna. <laughs> He's going everywhere, giving bhakti, devotional service. So here is this homeless sadhu and the goddess of fortune. Rukmini Devi is rendering personal service to him. Now, for most people, if the goddess of fortune was offering you chamara and willing to give you any benediction, you may be tempted to ask for something. But in Narada Muni's case, Krishna and Rukmini were asking Narada Muni for blessings because they wanted to show he has real wealth. He has compassion, compassion for everyone. That compassion is an expression of his love for Krishna. Narada Muni went to so many different palaces. And in each palace, Krishna was there. And in each palace, Krishna was doing something completely different with different queens, with different children, with different friends. He spent so much of the day going palace after palace after palace. And in every palace when Krishna saw Narada Muni coming, it was as if he hadn't seen Narada Muni for such a long time. 
He came running. Narada Muni, you are so merciful, so kind. You have come to bless my palace. It's not that he said, I just saw you a few minutes ago <laughs> in my other palace. He wasn't... Every form of Krishna was the same exact Krishna. But revealing his opulences. In each, each palace... Krishna was so surprised that Narada Muni came. And so eager to see him after so long. He served him with his queens and his family. And then when it came for Krishna to go to Sudharma, his, the assembly house of Dwarka, Narada Muni saw Krishna depart from each palace. And at the doorway of each palace, all the, each particular queen was saying goodbye to him and was smiling, but in their hearts they were crying because of separation all day from Krishna. And, and all the children of Krishna were saying goodbye to the father and all the this associates of the palace were, were in ecstasy of love and imminent separation from Krishna all day, saying goodbye to Krishna. And Narada Muni is watching us. Krishna is uniquely speaking each person's name and reciprocating according to their particular natures. And then Krishna goes on his chariot and all 16,108 forms of Krishna become one. And he comes to Sudharma. And he sits on his throne. And Narada Muni sees how everyone in Sudharma, all these great rulers and leaders, are honoring Krishna. And how Krishna is honoring all of them. <clears throat> and what's leading to today's story of today's verses is one time, Shukadev Goswami tells, as Krishna was sitting on his Paramasana. That means his supremely beautiful throne. This person entered the assembly. Nobody knew who he was. Nobody ever saw him before. But Krishna was so magnanimous. He didn't have an appointment. You know, if you want to see a political head of a state today, you have to go through so much bureaucracy to get an appointment. But he was just, nobody knew who he was, where he was coming from, but he wanted to see Krishna. So he was very lovingly escorted right to Krishna's throne. Krishna was open for everyone. And he came with a message he spoke about <clears throat> uh, the kingdom of Giri Braj in the Magadha province where he had just come from. There were 20,000 kings 
who were imprisoned by Jarasandha. Jarasandha was so powerful. Of all the demons, he was really powerful. Just his own physical body had the strength of 10,000 elephants. Try to understand what this means. And these are Dwarpa Yuga elephants, which are probably at least a thousand times stronger than Kali Yuga elephants. 10,000 elephants. That means hundreds and thousands of elephants as we know them. That was his physical strength. Last night I went to Radhika Pati Prabhu and his family, Krishna Chan Prabhu, to their, I don't remember the name of it, Govinda Prabhu knows. He's, I don't think he goes there for any other reason than to bless, give blessings. But it's some sort of fitness factory where people become physically strong. Can you imagine if Jarasandha came there? (laughs) He could lift the whole building up in a second. He had powerful mystic cities. And not only was he physically powerful, but he was so influential that any time he wanted to attack someone, he could get thousands of kings and hundreds and thousands of soldiers to give their lives for him. Not out of love, but out of fear. Jarasandha was so powerful. You know who one of his students was? Kamsa. Kamsa was one of Jarasandha's favorite students. So much so that he gave his two beloved daughters to Kamsa to marry. So in this way, to be the son-in-law is a very subordinate position. So we read about Kamsa, how atrocious and how demoniac he was. But being a student of Jarasandha means he got a lot of those evil propensities from Jarasandha. He was so arrogant, so evil, so cruel. But at the same time, He was, in his own demoniac way, he was extremely intelligent. He knew that to get his powers and keep his powers, he had to honor the Brahminical culture. He didn't follow the teachings of Brahmins, but he gave worship and honor to them just as Hiranyakashipu did in his own way. So, (coughs) 
these, this messenger was telling how these 20,000 kings were all prisoners because Jarasandha was conquering all directions. But when he or his soldiers went to any kingdom, they demanded total surrender. Give us your complete allegiance. Whatever property you own is now under Jarasandha's jurisdiction. You pay him what he wants you to pay. In other words, they could be kings of their provinces as long as they were his slaves, in a sense. So most people would surrender to him because it's either surrender or die. Because it was well known that Charasanda was a devotee of Mahabhairava, a form of Shiva. And he had decided that for the pleasure of Mahabhairava, the great destroyer, he would perform 100,000 human sacrifices of kings of the earth by severing their heads and offering them in the sacred fire. So when somebody of that power and that reputation comes to your kingdom and says surrender if you don't surrender then your head's going to be put in the fire but they didn't surrender so there were 20,000 kings in the prison just waiting for their death And they sent this message to Krishna that you have descended into this world because you are, you are so merciful. In your form of time, you destroy everything. And now we are in this helpless condition. We cannot fight against Jarasandha. All of us together do not equal him. We are helpless. Please protect us. You are our only hope. The kings were completely taking shelter of Krishna. The messenger said that Krishna, you defeated Jarasandha 17 times. But on the 18th time, by your own pastimes of appearing like a human, you ran away. And in Kshatriya um, way of thinking, to run away from battle is a far greater defeat than than being killed. If you're killed on the battlefield, it's considered heroic. But if you run away, it's considered the worst defeat. You're a coward. So when Krishna ran away from Jarasana as Ranshur, we glorify Krishna for that. But Jarasana became, 
He was so under the illusion to his false ego, his arrogance, his false pride inflated uncontrollably. I defeated Krishna. And now he was really causing havoc because he felt nothing and no one could ever stop him. So the kings were giving this um, appeal. And the messenger, he told Krishna, they are asking, please, please save us. The king said that we we know that only people who are really foolish and under illusion due to their past sinful activities they think that they can be enjoyers of this world not knowing that the only happiness for the soul is in loving you and serving you. And then they said, and we, these dead corpses that we live in called the bodies, we are so foolish that we're thinking that we can enjoy because we're kings. And in this way, trying to enjoy our kingly comforts and luxuries and happiness We have forgotten the real pleasure of the soul, the only pleasure of the soul, which is loving service to you. The kings, many of them obviously were very pious people, but even pious people become distracted by their material responsibilities, their material circumstances, by materialistic people around them, whether they're sinful people or even pious people. The material world is full of distractions. But here the kings were now, everything was taken away from them. Krishna tells Narada Muni and Maharaj Yudhisthira, he tells him, Yudhisthira Maharaj this verse. When, when the king asked Krishna, why did you take everything away from the Pandavas? And why did you cast us into the forest for so many years in exile? Putting us in a situation where for 12 years Duryodhana was disgracing us. And Krishna spoke this verse. When I give my greatest mercy, I take everything away from my devotee. So that devotee has nothing and no one to turn to except me. Krishna spoke that to Yudhisthira. And Yudhisthira's mother, Kunti Devi, she echoed the same principle when she spoke, Akinchana Gocharam. Krishna, you are the property of those who are bereft of everything. Akinchana doesn't mean we don't have anything. It means 
we understand Krishna is our only shelter. And we understand everything belongs to him. Nothing is mine. My beauty, my strength, my intelligence, my wealth, my property, my family, my home. Everything belongs to you, Krishna. Manaso deho geho jo Yudhisthira was a king. Kunti was the mother of the king. Bhaktivinoda Thakur was a magistrate, a householder. Paramhamsa. They all had the same spirit as does Narada Muni and Raghunathas Goswami, whether we're sannyasis or babajis or whether we're brahmacharis or business engineers, farmers, housewives, students, surrender is this spirit. Everything belongs to Krishna. And in this sense, we really take shelter of Krishna. Because when we're no longer distracted by the arrogance, the ego of I and mine, then we can actually be um, receptive to the reality of this material world. Everything's temporary. By the power of time, everything is being taken away. Everything will be taken away. It's so obvious. But when we become distracted by material attractions and aversions, we just don't really feel it. We don't really experience it. And understanding is not just an intellectual conceptualization. To actually know is realization. It's an experience. We see how time is consuming everything and everyone. We see how Maya Devi is working. And if we actually understand the material world as it is, then in whatever situation we're in, we will helplessly take shelter of Krishna. In victory or defeat, honor or dishonor, happiness or distress, health or disease, success or failure, whatever situation we're in, we see how material and nature works. And we understand I'm the eternal soul. But in this world, I'm so forgetful and I'm so vulnerable whoever I am and we take shelter King Yudhisthira was enlightened he took shelter when he had nothing in the forest and he took shelter exactly in the same way when he was the king of the world because he understood that everything is Krishna's he could see the material will for what it was So these 
kings were very fortunate. They were in the prison of Jarasandha. It was a reality. They weren't just reading something in a book. They were seeing Jarasandha every day. Face to face, Jarasandha. With all his cruelty, they were, they were seeing his human sacrifices, knowing that they were going to be next. They had nowhere to go, nowhere to run, nowhere to hide, nothing. They were really taking shelter of Krishna. And they sent their message. And Krishna could feel their hearts. And meanwhile, the Yadu dynasty, they were listening to this message of the cruelties and the arrogance and the demoniac nature of Jarasandha. And the Yadu dynasty knew that Jarasandha, with hundreds and thousands of soldiers, attacked to kill Krishna 17 times. He was angry. He was, his deepest attachment was to his two daughters. And they came back from Mathura weeping and crying hysterically. Now they're young women and they're widows. And they put all the blame on Krishna. Our husband was so good. He was protecting us. He was such a great man. And this Krishna, those widowed daughters were really blaspheming Krishna. And seeing how much pain Krishna gave to his daughters and how Krishna killed his best friend, favorite student, and strongest ally, Kamsa, Jarasandha, his mind went totally wild with revenge. He had to kill Krishna. He could find no, no peace of mind, anything, unless he avenged the death of his son-in-law. And he was so completely mad with this desire for revenge, which is born of envy and hate. And even though Krishna destroyed all his armies, 17 times captured him left him in a helpless condition and then humiliated him by letting him go and the reason he let him go because Krishna came he came to annihilate the miscreants Bhumi Devi, Mother Earth, in the form of a cow, came to Brahma, and Brahma brought Shiva and all the demigods to the ocean of milk to pray to Vishnu to save them. Because Mother Earth was being trampled on by people like Jarasandha and, Sh- and Shishupal and, and Kamsa. She was praying. All the demigods were praying. So, Jarasandha 
he was so blinded by his hate, by his envy, that he couldn't see that Krishna was making a complete fool out of him. And Krishna kept letting him go so he would bring millions of more kings for Krishna to annihilate. Like Srila Prabhupada said, if you have a really nice community, then people will come to you. Yes. <laughs> Just like Sri Mayapur Dham, by Srila Prabhupada's very, very um, deep desire, he wanted his followers to create the temple of the Vedic planetarium. Because to building this beautiful temple, Srila Prabhupada gave some basic designs, he gave some basic dimensions, and he personally, before he left this world, he laid the cornerstone, Ananta Shesha. It was quite obvious it wasn't going to happen in his lifetime, but he did that to make sure we took it serious that it does happen. Now, Sri Mayapur Dham, at the time Prabhupada did that, was a very isolated place. Just paddy fields and a few Godiamat temples and some villagers. Most of the villagers were not even devotees or even Hindus. But if we build this temple, then millions and millions of people from all over the world will come to associate with devotees, to understand the purity of Lord Chaitanya's message, to feel the mercy of the Dham of Sri Mayapur. So similarly, Krishna could go out to each of these kingdoms but through Jarasandha, all the kings were coming right to him in Dwarka. So the Yadus, they were really enthusiastic. They were angry. They were on fire to go with all their armies and squash this Jarasandha once and for all. After all, he was, besides his cruelty to all these kings, he was so blasphemous of Krishna. They couldn't tolerate it. So there was excitement in the Sudama assembly hall. The Yadus were ready to attack. Then Narada Muni came in. And Krishna in front of everyone, he was so jubilant to see Narada Muni. He offered Narada Muni a very nice seat. He worshipped Narada Muni. And then Krishna asked Narada Muni, how are the Pandavas? Narada Muni explained 
how Maharaj Yudhisthira wants to perform the supreme of all sacrifices or yagyas called the Raja Surya. And he, he wants to perform this Raja Surya yagya for one reason. You see, in order to perform this, sacri- this, this particular ceremony, you have to every king in the world has to accept your superior position and accept themselves subordinate. Maharaj Yudhisthira had all opulences. There was nothing materially that he didn't have that he could want. But he had one desire. He wanted Krishna to be recognized and glorified as the supreme personality of Godhead, as the ultimate worshipable object for all creation. So Yudhisthira Maharaj wanted to perform the Rajasuya Yagya. Hey Krishna, he really wants you to come. So Narada Muni was very much excited that Krishna go to Indraprastha. The Yadus were very much excited for Krishna to go and fight Dharasana. So there was a serious disagreement here. They weren't fighting. Doesn't discuss in the Bhagavatam that there was arguments, but they very much had their own ideas of how best to serve. And Krishna was between both of them. So Krishna appeared to be confused by his own Leela. And he turned to Udhav. And he said, Udhav, there are two very, very strong opinions here telling me to go to different places. Now, if Krishna wanted to, he could have expanded himself and done both. Every day he expands himself into 16,108 forms. When he went to Mithila, Bahulaswa invited him, please come to my palace and Shrutadev said please come to my straw hut Krishna just went both at the same time to make everyone happy so Krishna could have done but Krishna wants to glorify his devotee so he appeared to be needing help and he turned to his dear most friend Uddhav and said Uddhav you are like my eyes and you are filled with wisdom and intelligence and you know the you you know the art of giving good counsel advice so please tell me what i should do Udav expressed after hearing both sides for the pleasure and seeing how Krishna wanted to please everyone because <laughs> they were all his devotees 
But there's difference between there's a difference between how warriors like the Yadus think and how sages like Narada Muni think. They have two different kinds of mindsets. But what they have in common is they're completely surrendered with pure unalloyed devotion for Krishna's pleasure. Unity and diversity. This concept of unity and diversity is very dynamic. Unless we really are in that mood for the pleasure of Krishna, it could create a lot of chaos. Because we are all thinking, we're naturally all thinking we're right. And we really believe it. And we have so much evidence. Because that's our nature. We have to kill Jarasandha. Now, let's take our armies. And Narada Muni is saying, no, Maharaj Yudhisthira wants you to come for this ceremony. Bring your family, bring your friends. <laughs> have this wonderful ceremony. So Uddhava said that if you go to kill Charasanda, then that will be an inseparable um, act to facilitate Yudhisthira Maharaja's Rajasuya. Because long as Jarasandha doesn't surrender to Yudhisthira, Yudhisthira can't do the Rajasuya. And Uddhava gave Krishna the advice of how Jarasandha should be killed. He said he's, he has the strength of 10,000 elephants. And there is not a single person in the Yadu dynasty who could kill him. Besides yourself, there's only one person who has the strength that's equal to Jarasandha. <coughs> and that is Bhima. Now Jarasandha has hundreds and thousands of soldiers around him ready for battle. So it will be very difficult to defeat him with all of his armies. But I have a plan of how Bhima can fight him alone. He explained, disguise yourselves as Brahmins because he's very faithful to the Brahminical culture. He's very afraid to offend the Brahmins. Go there to beg. And when you come to him as Brahmins, he must fulfill what you beg for. Beg him to fight with Bhima. Let Bhima beg for battle. And Uddhava said that Brahma and Shiva, they control the whole universe as instruments of your power. Under the f almighty power of time, through Brahma and Shiva, you create and destroy everything. And in the same way, 
Bhima will be your instrument so that he will be glorified to kill Jarasana. Uddhava expressed at their homes the wives of these kings who are in prison. They are singing your glories. And how Lord Sri Krishna will kill the enemies, the enemy of their husbands. The children of the kings, when they cry out in separation from their fathers, their mothers tell them, please do not worry. Krishna will kill the enemy of your fathers. That's the faith the wives had in Krishna. Not only were the husbands taking shelter of Krishna, but as much or more the wives were taking shelter of Krishna. And Uddhava said, similarly, the gopis, they are also singing your glories of how you kill the enemy of Gajendra, who is about to destroy him in the form of a crocodile. How you kill the enemy of Sita, Ravana, when she was helplessly his prisoner in Sri Lanka. How you kill the enemy of your own mother and father, Vasudeva and Devaki, when they were prisoners also. Kamsa. And all the great sages are singing your glories and taking shelter of you. And Narada Muni said, and even myself, ourselves, we're all taking shelter of you, Krishna. From this beautiful verse of Uddhava, we can understand in our own lives Shiva Prabhupada and our Acharyas extracting the very essential message of all the scriptures have told us that the mind, when it is controlled, it's our best friend. When it's not controlled, it's our worst enemy. In fact, Srimad Bhagavatam tells that actually there is no other enemy than our own uncontrolled mind. Krishna tells in Bhagavad Gita, for one who sees me everywhere and everything in me, for that person I've never lost, nor has he ever lost to me. So when our mind is pure and clean, we see Krishna everywhere. We see the opportunity to serve Krishna everywhere. We see the hand of Krishna behind every situation. Even on cloudy day, we know the sun is behind the clouds. The clouds are just temporary covering. So for a devotee, in whatever situation they're in, they know that Krishna is with me. Krishna is in my heart. Krishna is always there to give me shelter. 
if I sincerely turn to him and call out his holy names. There's a beautiful verse in Srimad Bhagavatam that the mind it is like a very dangerous wild animal that wants to kill you. And when you catch that you have to keep very close guard over it because if you're the slightest bit in a tent I will attack you. Sorry. <laughs> that wasn't me, that was my uncontrolled mind. <laughs> so a devotee must be very careful to understand the power of the uncontrolled mind. And there are six enemies that occupy the kingdom of our mind. Kama, selfish, passionate lust. Krodha, anger. Bhagavad Gita teaches that when we contemplate the objects of the senses, we develop attachment for them. From such attachment, kama, lust develops. And when lust, when our selfish passions are unfulfilled, krodha, anger. And just as karma can completely um, capture our minds, capture our and control our words and control our actions, similarly, anger can do the same. And greed, insatiable greed. Where the mind, when it's captivated by greed, <clears throat> it pollutes the intelligence, and we can we th- we th- we think we have the right to cause so much pain and suffering to others just so that I can get more. An arrogance, the conception of the obsessive need to feel oneself superior to others. Envy. If someone else appears to have more than me, then I burn. I can't tolerate it. I have to somehow or other either I, I have to destroy that that obstacle in my mind by whatever means are required. Lust, anger. Greed, arrogance, envy, and illusion. Where we forget that we are the the eternal soul. And in that condition, we're so vulnerable to be distracted on this bodily and mental platform. So these are the six enemies. 
And actually, a conditioned soul is a prisoner of these enemies who all together have taken captivity of our mind. And this uncontrolled mind filled with these six enemies is actually millions of times more powerful than Jarasandha. We read about the prowess of Jarasandha. But where is he getting his prowess from? Because he's captured by these six enemies. He's a slave. He who's enslaving everyone else, he's a slave of these six enemies. He's an instrument of arrogance and envy and lust and greed. So when we are under the captivity of these anartas, more or less, in a real sense, we are all like those kings. The kings could do nothing against the power of Jarasandha, but they could live in a way that pleased Krishna. They were completely pious. They were completely good in all of their activities because they understood they couldn't be evil or arrogant or sinful and expect Krishna's mercy. They wanted to please Krishna. And at the same time, while living in harmony with Krishna's will, they were crying out for Krishna as their only shelter. And it is in this spirit that each and every one of us has hope, the only hope, of not being subjugated by the enemy of the mind and the six enemies occupying the mind. We have to truly please Krishna. And as Prabhupada said, like a little baby is helplessly dependent on a mother, like these kings and these, the wives of the queens at home are completely dependent on the mercy of Krishna's grace. In that spirit, we chant the holy name. Father Dave Prabhu gave us so many nice stories of the December book distribution marathon. Why are devotees so enthusiastic? Because we see the world, everyone is like like those prisoners in Jarasandha's prison. The controller of Jarasandha, forgetfulness of Krishna, is so much occupying and subjugating the world and we're trying to give them that message because people make friends with their enemies without knowing and Bhagavad Gita Srila Prabhupada's books commentaries are giving people an understanding 
that we are the eternal soul, we're not these temporary bodies. Everything does belong to Krishna. And Krishna is our true shelter. And Krishna has so mercifully appeared in this age of Kali, especially in his holy names and in the hearts of his loving devotees. So Uddhava made this proposal to Krishna. Go with Bhima, have him disguise himself as a Brahmin, beg Jarasandha to fight, and because Bhima will be an instrument of your mercy, Krishna, you, through Bhima, will liberate the world from Jarasandha. And liberate Jarasandha, too. And then the doorway will be completely open to satisfy Narada Muni's desire to perform the Rajasuya. So all the senior members of the Yadu dynasty and Krishna and Narada Muni all rejoiced with the completely harmonious wisdom of Uddhava. He satisfied everyone. But Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur explains some of the younger Yadus, they weren't so happy because they really wanted to fight with Jarasandha. <laughs> but the senior ones were all really happy. And Krishna was really happy. And it was, you know, it was quite unanimous among all the seniors Narada Muni, yes, this is what we will do. So then Krishna decided we will go to Indraprastha. The plan was he would go to Indraprastha, he would meet Yudhisthira Maharaj and the Pandavas, and then when Yudhisthira Maharaj and the Pandavas tell him that we have actually conquered everything except Jarasandha, then for the pleasure of Yudhisthira, Krishna will go with, with Bhima and Arjuna to meet with Jarasana. Krishna called Daruka and another charioteer and they arranged the chariots right away. And the queens had their palaquins and Krishna's children and soldiers and the common people large group of people from from Dwarka who were all going to go on a procession with Krishna to Intraprastha. And as Krishna was just preparing to go, Narada Muni bowed down to Krishna and Krishna offered his respects to Narada Muni and um, Narada Muni was completely happy. And then Krishna turned to the messenger of the kings. And he said, tell the kings and their wives that they have nothing to fear. I will kill Jarasandha. And he went back and he told the kings and they had complete faith in Krishna's words. At that point, 
they were simply eagerly lolium just this eagerness intense eagerness to seek Krishna and in this spirit they were glorifying Krishna talking about Krishna their minds were completely filled only with Krishna as they chanted his holy names Reading in these pages of Srimad Bhagavatam how these kings who have everything's taken away from them, they're in prison, they're about to die and be tortured, their wives are completely forsaken of everything of hope for their future and what will Jarasandha do to them after he kills their husbands. They're taking shelter of Krishna, eagerly awaiting his arrival. And in the same spirit, Indraprastha, they, they're free, they have all opulence and all wealth and all luxury, they have no problems. And in the same spirit, they are eagerly welcoming Krishna. Maro Bhirako Bijo says in whatever situation we're in we take shelter of Krishna so the contrast of these two um, situations that the devotees are in is very very instructive to us the citizens of Indraprastha who are living in incredible material prosperity are giving their hearts, their souls with eagerness to welcome Krishna. And the kings who are living in prison about to die materially, everything taken away, are in the same mood of eagerly anticipating the arrival of Krishna. And here at Sri Sri Radha Gopinath Temple, Krishna's here. But in one sense, even better, because he's in his Vrindavan mood. He's with Srimati Radharani, giving their darshan to us, giving their shelter to us calling us into their eternal pastimes with the promise, if you just take shelter of me, as a servant of the servant of my servants, and chant my holy names, then he will kill all our enemies and give us eternal happiness in his eternal abode. So what we read in Srimad Bhagavatam, it's important we understand how this is a living scripture that's teaching us how to live today. 
But when we come before Radha Gopinath, do we have the eagerness and the gratitude? And do we understand the grace we're receiving? Like the kings, the the imprisoned kings, or the um, jubilant residents of Indraprastha. In whatever situation, Krishna will reciprocate according to our mood of surrender. So we come to the temple. To surrender. Krishna, I'm yours. And in the association of so many devotees, when we share that experience, it's truly a festival. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna, there are two nice announcements. Uh, Tuesday, 15 December, Maharaj will be giving a class at the Birla House. It's say evening 7 p.m. So the passes can be collected through your respective counselors or mentors. And uh, our devotees from Juhu, Parijata Mataji and uh, Dayalukeshapu have been uh, spearheading an online venture to outreach. Uh, 